stand in body or spirit, I would invite you to join me in what was very likely the practice of Jesus and the disciples to recite the Shema or the great commandment as they came before God's word. So we'll, uh, I invite you to follow after me in Hebrew. We'll join together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. As Lindsay mentioned, our scripture this morning is Genesis and it is about God working in the dirt. We're going to begin in uh, the second part of verse four of chapter two. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he, the man became a living being. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. This week, when the pastors were talking about uh, this uh, account of creation in chapter 2, um, our attention got t- uh, turned to the work of uh, Old Testament professor Matthew Schlem. And Matt Schlem's important um, as an Old Testament professor, but he's more important because his in-laws are on the front row, uh, Roger and Ruth Ann Lind. But he talked about creation account, and he, and he, t- and he reminded us of a, a routine some years ago. I, I wouldn't show it to the children because the language, but essentially it's about Humpty Dumpty. And a comedian, Ricky Gervais, who of course was famous for uh, The Office in the UK and bringing The Office uh, television show to the United States, is talking about Humpty Dumpty. You'll remember Humpty Dumpty, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And Gervais in his comedy routine says like, well, what's a toddler supposed to get out of that? <laughs> you know, what's the moral? Is it if you're an egg, don't sit on a wall? Or he said, or is, it, or is the moral never send horses to perform a medical procedure? Can you imagine? He said, horses have no manual dexterity. They don't have posable thumbs. They're not going to be able to sew anything up. He said, if there was ever a perfect egg crushing machine created in the universe, it would be a horse's hoof. What is the moral for a child? It's a pretty funny routine, but it does raise the question of well, what really was the point of Humpty Dumpty? It's probably not just about an egg. So our crack research team, which basically was me and uh, Pastor Daryl Smith, went and looked it up, and we found some pretty interesting things. Humpty Dumpty became famous uh, with uh, Lewis Carroll's uh, Through the Looking Glass, but likely its origins are a century or more earlier. Some think it is a reference to uh, King Richard III in England, but others, and this was a Daryl and I's favorite, uh, say it's a reference to 1648, where there's a canon on a wall, a a cannon for defense that they called Humpty Dumpty. And when uh, uh, when the fort fell under siege, a cannon shot hit the wall. And so guess what? 
Humpty Dumpty uh, had a great fall. And so that might've been about that. The reason I tell you that is when we get the picture in Genesis this morning about God playing in the dirt, one way we can look at it is say, okay, it's about the composition of a human being. Uh, somehow we're, we're many parts dirt. Or is it really about something more than that? Could there be more to the story of God playing in the dirt? So I wanted to just offer you a few suggestions this morning. It's not exhaustive at all, but just some thoughts about what this story might be telling us. Just as there's more to Humpty Dumpty than a story of an egg, there's more to uh, this account of humans than just, um, than just our actual composition. And the first thing is this. Uh, when you look at this creation account, what it basically asserts is all of us came from one person. We all got started with Adam. And that's an important fact because if we all had the same source, then that would tell us, uh, say many ancient readers of the scripture, that none of us is any better than anybody else. All of our heritage is pretty much the same. I don't know if you had time to glance at a a paper today. Uh, My family is one of the families, still reads the paper. Uh, But the front page was about the descendants of Davy Crockett are descending upon the Alamo to, of course, offer their feedback on the Alamo plans. And, And that's important and Davy Crockett's important. But being a descendant of Davy Crockett is no different than my own family uh, being descendant of uh, people who were day laborers in the, uh, in the Midwestern states because we all came from the same source. To come from the same source reminds us that we have more in common than, uh, than we have the, the things that separate us. And it's also a way of saying if everything came from one, then each one is also important. What the ancient rabbis taught uh, around Jesus' time was this, that the story of all of us coming from one person reminds us that if, if you would ever take the life of one person, it's as if you would have destroyed all of humanity. That's a sobering thought, but let's try the flip side. They also said, if you help even one person, it's as if you helped all humankind. Can I turn your attention and your mind back to the Hope Center video? Sure, there are many more people in need in San Antonio than have come through our doors. But sometimes we get hung up on how many and not realizing the significance of each one. If you've helped one human being, it is as if you have helped all of humanity because we have more in common than what separate us. And each of us are of incredible value. I don't know if you saw this on the, uh, on the media this week, but there was a woman who was uh, sadly, I mean, she lived, but hit by a train in Italy. And did you see that? So there's the railroad tracks. There's the woman who's badly injured. She ended up having to have her leg amputated. And then there's a guy about 20 feet away taking a selfie of him in the picture with her laying on the ground. What? Is that all we are to each other is just a selfie opportunity? Isn't there more than that? And so to come from one place reminds us we are all of equal value and equal importance. To also know that our source is, as Lindsay said, God playing in the dirt reminds us that we have an essential tie to uh, the dirt. There's there's a connection to where the dirt came from. Um, uh, There's a tie between humans and creation are humans in the earth. In fact, 
I think as a city person, born in a, pretty much in a city, I was born in Oakland, California, raised most of my life in cities, sometimes I forget the essential connection between a human being and the ground. The fact of the matter in creation is they're tied so closely that without the ground and the earth, human beings have nothing to eat. And yet without human beings to work and till the ground, the ground doesn't get to fulfill its highest purpose uh, and bring forth abundant fruit and, and yield life. So there's a tie. We need creation and creation needs us. Chapter one is a beautiful account of creation. It's a little bit like a pyramid. You know, there's, uh, there's first, there's the darkness and now there's light and there's, there's um, um, waters covering the earth and there's dry ground and there's plant, then there's animals. And it's like it keeps going higher until the first human being is created at the end of chapter one. It's like we're at the top of a pyramid. Chapter two is almost a balancing act because oftentimes what happens is the top of the pyramid rests on the weight of everything underneath. And the top of the pyramid enjoys the fruits of everything underneath. And in this picture, one scholar said, it's almost like the human being is in the center of a circle. The human being is the center to be sure, but it has these co-relationships with the animals and with the earth and of course, with one another. Life is not there for us just to use, abuse. Life is there for us to cultivate and to have a relationship uh, that benefits basically both parties. I'm reminded of an old story John Claypool told about a a five-year-old who made as a part of an art project for Mother's Day a a, a vase for his mother. And so um, uh, he presented it to her. Of course, she uh, made the appropriate um, uh, excitement about the gift because it was a wonderful gift. And when dad came home in the driveway, uh, the one who, the child who made the vase wanted dad to see the vase. So with great excitement, uh, he grabbed the vase, began to run toward uh, his father, lost his balance. The vase hit the ground and cracked and went to many pieces. The child began to cry. The father quickly surveyed the situation and said to his son, Oh, don't worry. It doesn't matter. Mother took a different tack. She said, it does matter. We're going to find all these pieces and we're going to put them back together. I think dad might have missed that one. There was a value in, in, this, in this art project. Uh, it matters. And in the same way, this, this project God has made from the dirt matters, matters to God and therefore matter to us. And we can't say uh, about um, any person in creation or any part of creation that is suffering or struggling, it doesn't matter because it does matter. But to me, the most important lesson when we talk about God and dirt and people that I want to share this morning is just what Lindsay pointed out, and that is what God does with this dirt. What does God do? God breathes into the dirt. There's a touch of earth in the first human being, and there's a touch of heaven. We are an incredible mix of earth and heaven. Uh, and we are, in fact, God-breathed. In fact, the, um, one of the, the holiest names that the Jews have for God, um, in fact, they don't pronounce the name, but if they spell it transliterated into English, it goes Y-H-W-H. But many people believe that's the sound of inhaling and exhaling. 
and that God's name, when it was first uttered by God, was the sound of breathing, a way to remind the people that God's breath is in them. So whenever they said God's name in those days, and as I mentioned, they later wouldn't, they would be reminded of God's life inside them. Last week, I mentioned that sometimes in a tragedy, people look around and say, where is God? And I I tried to suggest that that when we show up as human beings with the image of God inside us, that's where God is present. But I would like to bring that analogy closer to home. Sometimes in my own life, I might say, where is God? And I would suggest the heart uh, or the difficulty of that that I'm having is sometimes I look for God to be out there when the biblical story is that God is not just out there, but God is within. God God's spirit, the Holy Spirit residing within me. And if I will settle myself down through prayer and scripture and meditation, I will begin to understand that God is even closer to me than I am to myself. I can touch my skin, but I can't get any closer than that. But God is on the very inside. We are a touch of heaven combined with earth. Now, the earth reminds us that that we have to have appropriate humility. Uh, in fact, we were created uh, from dirt, and, and that's appropriate to remind us that we came from dirt and we will one day go back to dirt. But sometimes I think we do a better job of focusing on humility and the, uh, of the human condition, and sometimes we miss the glory and the potential of the human condition. Does that make sense? I was watching a ball game the other day, and the shortstop, who's one of the best shortstops in college baseball, couldn't come up with a ground ball. And so the announcer talks about how good the shortstop is and said, well, I guess that proves he's only human. He misses one out of 100. Well, what is he the other 99? Is he extraterrestrial? Is he an alien? No, human beings are capable not only of mistakes, but, uh, but great potential. I am not a mental health professional, but as a theologian, I look at, some of the things that happened uh, in our country and world this week uh, when people take their own life. And I wonder if we as a church have done too good a job reminding people of their sin and not a good enough job reminding them that God is within them and they have an amazing potential to be a part of this world. There's a, a famous story of a rabbi that used to walk around and carry two pieces of paper in the rabbi's pocket. And on one of the pieces of papers, it said this, remember, you came from dust and to dust you shall return. But the other piece of paper he carried said this, remember for you, the entire universe was created. And we have to keep those both. The humility of the dirt, but the amazing, awesome potential of the God breath inside us, we are capable of amazing things. Remember Nelson Mandela's inauguration a couple decades back, and he quotes the poet Marianne Williamson, who said that our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are great beyond measure, that we have this incredible uh, potential to, uh, to be so much uh, more than even we know at this moment. And I think the creation story, when God takes the dirt and breathes into it, 
reminds me of my incredible possibility. One of the things that uh, people who read the scripture closely noticed about the creation story is God will create something, God will say good. God will create something, God will say good. God will create something, God will say good. Get down to the sixth day, God creates human being, and there's not a comment. We read that passage last night. There's not a comment from God. Now, later, God will look at all creation and say it's very good. But so ancient scholars said, well, why didn't God call the first human created good? I don't know. Maybe because God was about to say very good. But they came up with an interesting explanation. Could it be that human beings were created with this awesome potential and God had not commented yet because God knew that each person could go in a way that lived up to their potential or could go in a way that did not? live up to their potential. So God, knowing we are in process, in a sense, wasn't quite ready to say good. Because each of us is an amazing work of God, but we have capability for more, even more amazing things within us. And God, I think, waits to see that. And so my question to you this morning is simply this. You come from dirt. God breathed. We use that as an excuse for what you don't do, or we use that for inspiration for what you may yet in God's spirit do. It's an old story. Small town, everybody knew everybody. Uh, and there was a father who uh, drank way too much alcohol. And uh, he had two sons, and one of the sons grew up and became a teetotaler. Well, and everybody in town looked at the son and said, well, what do you expect? His father was a drunk. But the other, the two sons, drank as much or more than his father. And everybody in the small town looked at the, uh, the other son and said, what do you expect? His father was a drunk. And of course, the point of the story is we're not determined by that. Both of the sons had this free choice to live down to parts of their creation or live up and live into the God-breathed part of our creation. Dirt, yes, but God breathe, yes. Which one will we live into?